Hello, and welcome back once again to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, my guest is Ryan Staley. Ryan has a very interesting track record. With four people, they managed to scale the business to 30 million. He's trained over 300 chief revenue officers. He teaches people how to use AI in sales. So we're going to be exploring all of this fun stuff. We're going to be looking at how you can influence time, how you can influence execution, money, acumen, and skills using, I've messed up the order there, but it's meant to spell teams, how you can influence those using AI what your blind spots are. are. Are you playing with it or are you really throwing yourself into it to try and understand it? If you're asking it mediocre questions, it will get you mediocre answers. The skill is in thinking of this as a thought assistant. It's a, a very, very obedient eight-year-old that will go exactly where you point it. If it brings crap back, that's on you, not on it, mostly. We'll give the models a little bit more credit than they probably do. And are you developing an organized strategy in order to implement AI in your people? You're doing it in your product, but how are you iterating that process so that you're learning and developing and uh, together you're evolving? Because let's face it, there's no one who knows how it works in its entirety and it's evolving so fast. How are you tracking? What are you tracking? Are you tracking the right things? R Ryan in his business, when he scaled to 30 million, pointed at the right end of the problem. Which of the biggest deals that close the fastest? How do we get more of them and not the other ones? I mean, simple stuff. We're going to look at the time, the money that you waste and squander because you're not opening yourself up. And today is all about opening yourself up to possibility. So without any further ado, Ryan Staley, welcome. Thanks, man. Happy to be on the show. Looking forward to this. Looking Excellent. forward to kind of carving it up with you, man. <laughs> Would you mind giving us a couple of minutes on your history? And uh, again, tell the story of how you got here. Don't spare the detail, particularly the scar tissue. <laughs> so yeah, so I'll, I'll do a, uh, a, I'll try to nail the, the two minute mark, if you will. So because I've had podcast guests on my show, the scale up show where where folks will talk for 15 minutes on their intro and it kills the interview. So I will not do that. Here's what I would say is like, I, if you think about it, like I've had every single job up the chain from when I began as literally door to door selling advertising when I was in college, all the way to effectively what was kind of the, a precursor to the SDR role with inside sales, working at almost like a boiler room type environment, where it was a yeah. hard 24 hour close or 10 minute close, depending on how aggressive you were, went into outside sales, mid-market, enterprise. And then uh, from a leadership perspective, started off in mid-market, turned an office around, and then was tasked to say, hey, Ryan, you should start an enterprise group. We, we need to move up market. Where's my team? They're like, you don't have one. I'm like, "Where's what's the playbook? What's the go-to-market? They're like, go figure it out, right? So grew that from zero to 30 million in ARR and four, or I'm sorry, five and a half years with only four salespeople. We had no SDRs or marketing, so we had to get highly creative and resourceful. And so about three years ago, I left that company and started my own and, and started consulting tech companies on how to implement those principles in their business. From there, I was an instructor at Chief Revenue Officer School for Pavilion, which was taught about 800 actually VPs in, in CROs. I know you mentioned 300, but it's probably 300 CROs, but probably another 500 VPs of sales in there. 
on my proprietary methodologies. And then what I've been obsessed with over the last 10, 12 months is like, how can we integrate AI into real world business use cases? And I've just been blown away with what I've seen there and what the opportunity is and am evangelizing that because I think specifically the sales community is either too busy, not focused on it, has stuck their toe in the water. And this is going to be one of the most transformative events ever in the history of man. As you can see, stuff is accelerating. We've had eight years of innovation in four months. And so that's kind of where I'm at right now in terms of the journey. Well, a fantastic story. So let's pick it apart a little bit because I'm really curious about the experience that you went through scaling so fast and having to adapt so quickly because as i see things panning out over the next five to eight years there's going to be a hell of a lot of uncertainty a load of volatility you only have to look at the election cycles the wars going on on my doorstep you know three four two three four thousand miles away well probably two thousand miles away actually the economics you've got china taiwan with the election cycle, all the bad actors, the rise of AI, quantum around the corner. And we've just gone through the pandemic, the lockdown and everything else. This feels very, very unstable. Um, And I think what's really important is the ability to adapt and to prepare. And I think AI is going to give us resources that we wouldn't otherwise have, especially as small businesses. And in particular, in terms of creating ecosystems and partnerships. So can we explore um, those rather large topics and I'll just shut up for a couple of minutes? Yeah, I think, so if if we're talking like bigger picture, I I would agree with you. There's there's massive uncertainty all across the board, right? Uh, There's significant layoffs. There's, I mean, I've talked to a lot of, of tech CEOs. I've interviewed probably over 200 in the last year and a half. And you know, there's the rise of AI, which is materially changing how we work and how we function as a society. So, and then on top of it too, we had the big boom with money and capital being invested into businesses. And then this year was that massive pullback. Uh, There still is a large chunk of money that's been invested, but it is really interesting. If you look at it closely, everybody's like, oh, this money's going to AI companies. I bet you, and I, I haven't done the math on it, but if you look at Pareto's principle, Probably not even the top 20% of or money or 80% of money is invested in the top 20% of companies. It's probably like the top 10 companies. If you look at like well, that's the, prices law, you, you oh, square yeah. root the number of people in your market or your organization, and that 50% comes from there. So if you've yeah. got 10,000, 100 produce 50%, 9,900 produce the other 50%. If you just follow the math, I think OpenAI has probably had close to 10 billion invested in it from Microsoft. Google and actually Amazon have invested in Anthropic, another four to five billion. I think it's five billion now, at least in the most recent rounds. And so, yeah, there's venture money flowing into other AI companies. I think the bulk of it's been going to these large language models. And that doesn't even include the private money of Meta, what they're dumping into their own model. And then Google, or I should say Apple, just announced they're spending a billion in in R&D to uplift their AI. So like, that's where all the money is going at, at a big scale of things. And, and it's not just because of the money. I think like, if you look at it, why I've been obsessed with it is because there was a moment in time where I had a founder on my show and he's just like, Hey, have you ever tried Dolly? Like Dolly, the image generator, right? 
And I'm like, no, I haven't heard of it. So I tried it that weekend and I was playing with it and had my daughter try it. And we're like, okay, this is a this is kind of cool, right? But it, it kind of sucked back then, right? This was in like November of 22 or maybe October around that time frame. And then what happened was uh basically shortly thereafter, ChatGPT got released. So I started using that. And the pivotal moment in terms of my realization of what's possible with that is when I'm like, all right, I'm going to ask this model, something that I know to be true through from like 10,000 hours of customer meetings. And I'm going to be very specific the way I ask it. And let's see what it comes up with. Let's see how good this AI shit really is. Right. So I tried it and it got like 90, 95% of the way there. And I was like, oh, wow, this is exciting and scary. Like I was like disturbed for a while. I'm I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm like, okay, what do I do? Do I just like sit there and, and just keep going as is, or do I like run towards this as fast as humanly possible? And then just try and help people with the transition. And I chose the latter instead of the former. So. Well, me too. I, I'm uh, constantly in trouble with my family for it because it's, it is a, a constant rabbit hole, but you, you have a thought and now you've got a thinking partner. And um, mm-hmm. if you ask it the right question, it will go off and find you resources that know more than you do. And you can educate yourself. You can start to build models based on good data, good resource, good research, which you couldn't do otherwise unless you're spending hours and hours and hours with your nose in a book. I'm interested in the outcome. What AI is giving me is the ability to achieve outcomes so much faster. People don't buy your product. They pay for the outcome. They rent mm-hmm. it. Salespeople don't seem to get this because they still fixate on talking about their tedious features and functions, which no one cares about. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I, I'm I'm a big, like I'm high D if you look at the disc profile. So I'm very outcome driven and results driven, if you will. So like, let me ask you this, because we we haven't had a chance to talk about this in depth. I know we talked about it a little bit before, but like, what are the top three outcomes that you see from leveraging it that that you're totally enthralled with or, or think are game changers for what's possible? Working in partnership with it, I've been able to bring my 35 years worth of experience into a structure that my chaotic brain and my chaotic working style couldn't do. And I'm really, really pleased with where we've ended up. We've ended up with a system, an approach called sovereign sales. So mm-hmm. it's about creating sovereignty for both you and the buyer. Mm-hmm. And it's built on my values. Every layer has been built and built and built over hours and hours over months. And it's iterative. And you know, I've then taken that particular prompt and run it through different filters to look at how I can then develop tools. So for example, I can now establish with my clients how much risk they create in their buyer's brain. It's not scientific, but it's very indicative. And it's remarkably painfully accurate because if you're creating risk in the buyer's brain, They don't feel safe. And buyer safety is the first thing we have to establish Mm -hmm. because if they don't feel safe, they go to the worst case scenario. And I couldn't understand this stuff if I hadn't had access to 
the AI and then ask it to bring me the original sources so I can check that it's not making shit up. And then I check it through two or three other uh, different AIs to make sure that we're triangulating. Now, off the back of that, I've developed a, a tool that helps me to create a learning plan for my clients from the first meeting. Now, that would have taken me probably nine months to get that level of direction for my coaching, because all of a sudden I've got all of these areas for me to explore. And they're in indicated by their responses to my sales aptitude test, if you like. And the net result of that is they gain from it because they learn something about themselves immediately. Um, I now have a framework to deliver the result that they want, and they can develop a plan off the back of it that gives them a sense of certainty and clarity uh, as to exactly what they have to do and they're responsible for. I've been able to do that through coaching, but not with that level of structure or that fast. And we're, we're getting results where people are getting 600% ahead of the market with no new product in nine years. Love that. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. pretty cool. Yeah. I think that's fantastic, man. So you create your own tool around it and then just kind of filter that through and early days. That's taken weeks and weeks to build. But how long would that have taken me if I was doing it manually and had to get my master's and my PhD? That work's already being done. And the creativity comes in the questions that you ask and the the applications. So let me bring you in on that. How have you been wowed by it? What what have been the things that have blown you away? Yeah, it, I think there's a there's I mean there's so much so. I think, um, well, here's what I would say. And I, I was thinking long and hard over this because I'm, I'm presenting on this tomorrow for like a web training that I'm, I'm doing specifically on this, right? And, and I'm, I'm like, how do I illustrate this so that folks really, really deeply understand like what's possible in the simplest way? And so like, how would I mention, and you mentioned at the beginning of the show, but I think there's like, most people just look at it as like, it's a writing tool. I could write better emails or I could, you know, I could write content. You know, a lot of folks, the, the general masses, I would say, that are aware of it, that's what they've tried to use it for. If you look at it, the outcomes you can get from it, and that's where I came up with the TEAMS acronym, which is time, execution, acumen, money, and skills. Okay, so like those are the five buckets that we look at. And that's just, that's not even covering everything, right? I mean, there's there's exponential areas, but like, if you look at the bulk of the core use cases right now with the large language models, I think that's where it is. And so let me just break those down for you real quick. So, so time, uh, like what I've discovered is as a sales leader, I was able to effectively create an entire sales org in 20 minutes. And it, it wasn't perfect, right? And that's what I would emphasize with everybody. This isn't a one button and it's 100% done. It's a, a one button, maybe a few buttons, right? Um, and it gets you 90, 95% of the way there. There's still some massaging, I think. And you can keep fine-tuning it so it gets closer and closer to that 100%, but just as a general rule of thumb. So by doing that, and what I mean by creating an entire sales org, effectively, that would have taken me in the past, kind of like what you're talking about, a whole day to do, right? So I did everything from like, all right, how do I back into the exact comp structure? How do I back into my team's KPIs collectively? What's a management operating system that I could have with a rhythm 
on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis? What are the metrics I need to hold them accountable for? What's the tech stack that I need for under $1,500, right? And it came back with a tech stack for under $300, which was pretty interesting. What's a job description that I could create for a new role that I was hiring? So, I mean, that's the bulk of it, right? And that was done in 20 minutes, effectively, when I, and it was no pre-thought or planning. It was just boom, 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 right? I, I, put, I put together a 48-week partner training program in 12 minutes. And it, again, I, I get it. And it had pre-work, post-work, pre-test, post-test. It had role plays. It had marketing content to get them involved. It had a scaffolded structure. So every lesson built on the previous lesson and uh, every lesson then seeded uh, the lessons to come. So their reticular activating system was triggered. Because again, I'm trying to tap into the neuroscience and the brain. I, I want their brains to be involved. I don't want to fight evolution. I want yeah. it on side. And I can't do that just doing it on my own. It's a, mm -hmm. this stunning stuff. Exactly. So that's time. Yeah. So execution, like there's like in ChatGPT Plus, you have access to plugins. And so, and I, I need to dive deeper on this because like literally there's, I think there's like 3000 plugins now. I actually have a guide on that. But one of the things that, that I discovered was like, hey, if you stack three plugins and you activate them, you could effectively create multimodal content. So what I mean by that is you could take a summary of a video, create a new video that you don't even need to record with an AI avatar, create a summary, create tweets and a guide all with one prompt. What that is, is that's automated execution, right? And so I think we're, we're, there's ways where you can leverage Zapier or other kind of connectors to do that. I think we're in the infancy stage of that because agents are going to be released soon with OpenAI, which are basically autonomous AIs that work in conjunction with each other to formulate a result. There's been some work done on that with mixed results, but I think that that's going to change the game and that's coming out probably in the next middle of November, I would say, in, in 23. Have you know. done any experiments on the execution side by tapping into quantum computers? No, I have not. Have you? No, but I have one minute a month that I have access to and I'm looking for a use case. So we're doing it with a, a Web3 crypto-based social platform. But if you've got other use cases, I'd love to have a go and work on this kind of thing together. Because if we can see... Yeah, that's together, I'll, I'll nerd out on Futury. Futury, if you will, right? So let's talk about that after the show. Uh, I would have We'd have to think through that in, in chat. Because I, I, I want your one minute to be used at its optimal level, right? We don't want to... Half-ass the one minute a month you get. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, we, we, we could we could use the following month and fill in the the, the gaps that we missed. <laughs> but I don't know what we could do with a minute. I mean, I saw a report. The quantum computers that are available today do in 12 seconds what took five supercomputers a year. I got an idea. Here's the, here's the, the simplest use case in the world. We could do the genie with the wishes approach, right? Where it's like, just, you know, identify how I could generate for free an extra five hours a month on quantum computing. Go figure this out. Boom. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs>
<laughs> right, I mean, it's like it's like asking the genie for more wishes, right? Like, which are what? Which are your three wishes? I, I wish that I have an infinite amount of wishes, right? <laughs> Excellent. Know? So I, I'm definitely going to be tapping you because I love your questions. So <laughs> let's go on to acumen. Acumen, yeah. So think of that as what I what I like define acumen as is long term skill acquisition through experience, which is very hard to replicate and. That's what kind of kicked this off and started it where I was like, oh, wow, this is really good. So here and here's a simple prompt that anyone can use. And whether you're a leader or you are a rep, but uh, this is the one that I use that unlocked the cheat codes for it. So effectively, what I did is I, I said, OK, I want you to act like you are a 30 year. Right. So I gave an experience level because I didn't have a specific person, a 30 year experience CFO or CIO or CTO, whatever the functional role is, right? So that's the first part. Like, what's the person that you want them to, their frame to go through? Then the second part is who works for a privately held company in this industry at this revenue size? So all those are really important contextual questions. So once again, you got the person perspective, then you got the company demographic perspective. And then the next part is like, it gets into the framework, which is, identify the top five KPIs that this person is evaluated on and then share with me what those are. And so that's very simple. And so what, what I did from that is basically I structured that for a target market that we were looking at and, and it gave the top five KPIs that they were evaluated on. And I said the other, action, actually, the one part I, I skipped was in a down market, right? So I gave the market conditions as well. So then it said, okay, these are the top five they're evaluated on. And I said, okay, in a down market, what are the biggest challenges they have with hitting those KPIs? So that's the second layer to it. And then the third layer is how does that make, make them emotionally feel when they're dealing with those challenges, right? So I went from like evaluation and understanding to challenges to emotional impact. And then what that did is that really formulated a tight understanding of acumen of and it, it solved the relevancy problem that most sellers have of not being able to be relevant by truly knowing what they're going through. So what Ryan's talking about here is thinking as your customer, not about them. If you don't think through their eyes, live in their skin for some time, you're going to struggle to get that emotional connection. And you'll also notice that whilst he talked about the role and the housekeeping stuff, he then went into the context layer, which is critical because these businesses do not exist out of the context. They exist within the context and they have to perform within the context. So if you understand the context of your buyer, you are far more likely to create real engagement and be relevant and timely. Then we have this other issue, which is meeting them at the wrong time in their journey. And I think the AI allows you to work out a buyer's journey and their struggling moments along the way so that you can time your touches to ensure that they're timely and relevant, they're valuable, and that therefore means that they are become credible. And what's really important here, and I want to touch on this because there's no way on God's earth you could possibly have grown to 30 million with four people if you focused on generating from the cold market or going through the traditional means. So I really want to explore that uh, in terms of the execution piece too. But it just strikes me that we spend so much energy and effort on 
doing things the old way and we don't stop and think and ask, is there a better way? Let's dig into that a little bit as we delve even deeper. So what comes next then? Yeah, we'll, we'll go through this quick. It's money. And so like effectively, a real simple example is now there's tools that used to outsource, like for example, content repurposing, right? Like basically it used to take $600 to outsource offshore for video clips and, and editing. You can do that for like 30 bucks a month now, right? And it used to take 48 hours to get, now you can get it in 15 minutes. So there's a lot of opportunities like that. And then last but not least is um, skill. And a great example of this is you could acquire skills faster than ever, whether it be through an upgrade like Neo in the Matrix, where you could effectively have it digest, look through Pareto's principle and give you the top 20% that'll give you 80% results from a book, a YouTube video or whatnot. And then you could dig deeper in there, right? Instead of reading the whole book with 70% of it being fluff. Or there's other ways where there's basically skills arbitrage or opportunities that you could harness those. And a quick example of that would be, I personally suck at graphics, right? Like I'm terrible. I'm not a graphic designer. I'm not good at any of that. I've unlocked how to create high, like probably better than average graphic designers just by leveraging text prompts. I taught my 11-year-old how to do that. She never did it before. And she created like insane looking AI pictures literally in 15 minutes after understanding that. Those are skills I did not have, would take me days and days to learn. And I did it in minutes. So that's the other aspect. Let's go the other extreme. Let's right. go to the bordery. Because I don't think anyone's really thinking or very few boards are thinking about AI as a tool to make them more effective. Let's go to the boardroom then. How mm -hmm. do you see AI affecting the way boards behave, their ability to make decisions? Yeah, I, like, so it's really interesting. So at the board level, there's strategic advice they could get at scale without leveraging that company's data, right? And so like, I kind of cut it into two pieces. There's like the private model where they have the security and they could, that model can ingest their specific data and then give them proactive insights and outputs. And then there's also even the general large language models. At the board level, with that level of complexity, there's there's tons of ways I'm sure you could leverage it. You know, if you're advising a company, I mean, you could identify other board members, or I should say other boards that operate large companies that are well known. And so this is actually interesting because I'm thinking about this on the fly. So one of the things I did, and I show this in my sales AI accelerator course, is how to create your own personal board of directors. Right. So like effectively, there's a prompt where you could do that and you could have it for any function. I mean, you could have it for life coaches, you could have it for business, you could have it for startups. Right. So you curate the top people that you want on that board. Then you throw that problem out to the board and get each person's perspective on what they think. And then from that perspective, you can go deeper on those different issues and challenges. Another great application of that is in red teaming a deal and you define the human beings, the context, the role, the stage in the business life cycle, and then you put your proposal to them and you have them tear it apart. I think one of the, my favorite uses of AI is to have it prove me wrong. 
Go and tell me all the reasons why I am wrong. What am I missing? For boards, I think that's something that they really should be taking advantage of because their blind spots are legend. Yeah, I love that use case. Like like red teaming a deal. Uh, I think like you could look at historical trends based on marking conditions and vertical specific use cases. You know what I mean? There's a lot, right? Well, um, one of the things that my clients and I have been doing is we track the public statements of senior officers from analyst calls, uh, speeches, that kind of thing. Off the back of that, we start tracking it over time. And if you um, pass the language, you can look for emotion, language patterns, changes in language patterns, turns of phrase. So when you write to that person, you can write closely aligned to their voice, also tied to the things that you've picked up, that the AI has picked up, uh, are probably emotional drivers. Now, for headhunting your next boss, for researching a prospect, for looking at a competitor in order to find the weakness in their strength, all of these resources are at your fingertips with a couple of prompts. It's just stunning. Yeah, I love those. I mean, I love what you're talking about there. And you gave me a couple ideas because like I've I've taught folks how to leverage like 10K and annual reports. There's like a prompt you could leverage in Claude to do that. Claude's really good at that, actually, whether they're Claude's public brilliant. or private. Yeah, so Look. Claude, I think, is really good. Bard makes shit up half the time, right? It can be good in like isolated use cases. And so what I would say with, with what you're talking about there, like another idea that you just gave me as we're talking is like, you could look at their their top three competitors, 10K risks and have those like summarized, right? And that'll give you insights as well. I'm inherently lazy. The motto in the business is double the money for half the work. How do you do less but better on purpose without any loss of experience or quality? So there I am thinking, how do we leverage this? Well, it strikes me that finding a way to not compete with my competition and fill the gaps that they miss. So do an analysis. Analyze the competition for their strengths and their weaknesses, and then for the weaknesses in their strength and the strength in their weakness. Mm -hmm. Where is the gap? Because I'm really interested in the non-customers, the people that they're missing, who are probably going to their webinars, but they're not paying the money. Or they've gone through their programs, but it's not working anymore because they taught technique instead of the fundamentals. They weren't teaching building blocks and they weren't teaching people how to use it. They were teaching people the theory of how to use it. That training doesn't work. You know, you look at the 265 billion that was spent in 2012. That's the last time I looked at the, uh, the numbers. And only 3% went on managers. They touched seven to eight employees. And you put managers in place on the basis that they were good as being a technician or an individual contributor. Then you put them into a position where their job is to get everyone else over the line. I think one of the huge opportunities for AI is as a coaching tool when your managers aren't coaching. If you're a sales rep, use the AI to analyze your calls. If you can't afford Gong, and in fact, why bother? They're not going to like me for that. But uh, you can give it the prompt so that it asks, it, it interrogates in the right way. It's so funny. So literally just yesterday, I recorded a podcast episode 
where I was using ChatGPT, the voice model, and I had Chris Voss, an AI version of Chris Voss, be my guest on the podcast that I interviewed live, which it hasn't gone live. It'll be live by the time this is published. But <laughs> effectively, I had it like go through objection training for me. It's like, okay, how would you, and Chris Voss, just for those of you that don't know, he's the author of Never Split the Difference, was like a FBI hostage negotiator, negotiator, very, very strong. I saw him at an event and I'm like, and he's very good with, in terms of using almost, I would say like language design and architecture to get different responses from people with the way he asks questions or gives feedback. And so I'm like, oh, this'd be cool as hell. Let's go three objections. And I, I had like an automated or an AI Chris Voss that I was talking to, interviewing, asking how he would handle this objection versus this one. And dude, it was pretty cool, man. And it was verbal and it was just like me talking to it. It wasn't me writing anything. So like coaching is what I think of when I hear that, especially with salespeople that are more verbal. And there's going to be other ways that you can leverage it too. But that was my first take on it. Well, uh, just identifying flaws in your proposition or to build a hypothesis to learn the language of finance and put your proposition in a way that the board will accept. Because how often are proposals rejected? Because they don't make sense to the board because mm -hmm. they're not in their language. Yeah. I mean, yeah. how simple a win. It doesn't take much. You, know, you, you can have it educate you to write yourself, but you can get frameworks built. You can create enormous amounts of time saving by developing processes and thinking deeply, reflecting. I mean, how often do you sit down and have a chance to reflect on the hardest problem and the deepest questions? I do that every day now. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. It does agree, make man. me unapproachable. But... <laughs> <laughs> That's so, funny. Look, we're, we're coming very close to time, but um, how do you achieve ridiculous results without money or people? So to walk through what I did that, and that's why I'm attracted to AI, hyper attracted to it. So when we went through that journey, like one of the things is like, I didn't have a team and it was kind of funny because it was, it was basically like a demotion at the time. So my mid-market team that I had, there was an office that when I first took the job, they only interviewed me at Starbucks. They wouldn't take me to the office because it was like this shitty little office above Jimmy John's. And I... I wasn't on my radar at the time. I was just like, oh, this guy likes to just get out of the office, right? Then I went there. I'm like, okay, I, I get why they didn't interview me in the office. Right? <laughs> so, so help that team. But I had I worked for a really, really demanding founder. And it was good because he pushed me in a lot of ways. However, it was always like, he always wanted more from me no matter what. And so what happened was like, I wasn't in that environment. This is the first like, I've had, I had a leadership position before, first leadership, right? So I was getting pressed on both ends. I was getting the founder pressing me. And then I was getting the people pissed because the, the company wasn't very good technically, right? It was just like all manual old school. And so like I would have the reps complaining, pushing up, and I'd have management aggressively pushing down. And so I just worked my ass off and to get through that and was learning along the way. There wasn't a lot of structured learning or any kind of programs like that for my development. You know, I had a manager that tried to help with that, right? But his time was limited. And so I started to become a like a person that wasn't fun to work with, work for, I should say, right? So I was getting the results, but I think it was kind of like grinding them into the ground, right? Which is terrible. So it was a leadership mistake I made. So they're like, hey, we're going to take your, we're going to move your team to this person. You got to create this, this go to market from scratch and did that. And then it was funny because a lot of the people, once we started 
making progress, all the people that used to work for me wanted, or most of them wanted to work for me in the new role, right? Because they saw a big change and a big difference, right? One of the things that we did is um, the first, first thing I did is I looked at all our success that we had. So I looked at, and this, this is a strategy. It's like a three by three strategy you could leverage. Snowflake used it. Basically, Vista Equity uses it to turn a billion dollar company into $3 billion in three years, right? So it's a repeatable process, but I didn't know that at the time. And my version is a little bit different, but effectively what we did is we looked at the top and it depends on how many deals you have, but we looked at like the top 10 deals we won as a company, the top 10 deals we lost as a company. And then we also looked at the speed, the top 10 fastest deals. So biggest, fastest losses. And if doing this now, I look at the, the top 10 slowest deals we got too, right? We looked at the patterns on why that happened and what were the, the unique outliers that were in those that, that were asymmetrical, right? So one of the things I discovered was that there was a vertical that was like our top vertical, which was legal. Come to find out the average deal size was $360,000 a year that we we're targeting. It took 12 months to get. Well, there's this one outlier in retail in one of our other offices, and they got a $100,000 a month deal, so $1.2 million deal, and it only took nine months to close. And I looked, and then there's smaller pockets to that too. So I'm like, all right, sweet. 75% of the time, three extra results, I'm in. Let's let's have a targeted focus. And nope, everybody was just doing their own thing because we focused a lot of different horizontal, uh, it was a horizontal solution. So a lot of different verticals. I'm like, do you realize what would happen if we focused on these core three areas instead of being so distributed across like trying to serve everyone? Absolutely. And so we did that exercise year over year. And that alone with like, refined named account targeting made it so much easier. And it just took a little work up front that made everything easier afterwards. So that was one of the big things that that led to that. So for those of you who are in sales leadership or management positions, the lesson here is fewer accounts done better and spend time on them uh, over time in order to build credibility and intimacy and demonstrate your reliability before you sell. The mistake people make constantly is that they're always in a rush to try and transact now. If it's going to take nine months, don't try and sell them stuff now. Help them get to the point where they see you as an ally uh, on that journey. Don't make them see you as an interruption that's unwelcome. You know, the moment you turn into Joe Pest the cockroach, they're going to be ghosting you. And if you look at most people's pipeline, 60% of it is lost to no decision. Now, that's an insanity. How much of your pipeline was lost to no decision after you had uh, implemented this exercise? Uh, I have no idea off the top of my head. That was that was so many years ago. Not so many, but like, yeah, it, it was. It was we, like lifetimes. Well, it was so funny, man. Like I told you, since it was very old school, when I started working there, we were working off spreadsheets. Yeah. Right. And, and I'm like, we, we got We got to have some system to track this guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like we were probably a good 10 years behind the rest of the world in terms of tracking and metrics, which is cool. Out of necessity breeds innovation. Right. So, which is why if, if we didn't have that laser focus, it would have went to shit because it, it would have been so unorganized. So that was, that was interesting. So I don't really know the amount that was lost. because mm-hmm. Okay. The data. Fair enough. Well, look, one final question as we wrap up then. I'm very interested in how you systematized referrals because that's a huge driver for any sensible seller. And if you want to keep working really hard 
and making your life impossible, go after the cold, direct new business market. That's where the idiots are. I, I don't wish to offend, but if you're focused on that market and you haven't found a way to turn it into at least as effective as referrals, which it closed around three and a half times, instead of one in 21, they close one in six on average. Honestly, that's the low end of where it should be. But let's talk about how you systemized referrals. So what happened was we got, it was one of the things that when I was going through that process, I didn't have like tight systemization of it. But one of the things that I realized is we got a $20 million deal from a referral on a deal that we didn't even win that led us to that opportunity. And so after I left and I started helping companies, I'm like, okay, we've done this in a lot of situations in the past. It was just kind of part of our culture. It wasn't really systemized. So one of the things I help companies do is systemize this and implement it in their business. And so here's the core framework of it. If you're, if you're looking at systemizing referrals is there's multiple pieces to it, but there's, I would say probably th- four core pieces to it. So one are the the pathways, right? So the pathways are the incentives. That's what 99% of people focus on. That's not the most important thing. That's probably have like a 15%, 20% impact on what it is. So there's the pathway. So that's the incentives. The next is the process, right? What's the existing process that the team has in terms of handoffs, touches, uh, interaction with the customer from the point in which they sell the point in which they close and manage and upgrade and upsell and cross-sell, right? So how does that flow happen? What's the handoffs? And then there's the peaks, right? And this is one of the things that most people ignore because just like any human relationship, when it's human to human without any business attached to it, it can be an intimate relationship, there's always peaks. There's always, you know, there's you're never at, you know, flying high 10,000% all the time, right? And so It's asking the right question at the right time for the referral. It's not just asking whenever. You can't ask them when when they would rate you a one out of five. You got to ask them when they rate you a five out of five, right? So that's the next step. Last but not least is, is playbooks. So for every other part of the sales process, there are playbooks orchestrated and execution paths. Most people treat referrals as a one time event. So, like, Marcus, let me ask you a question. What would be your success rate if? Your sales process was, oh, I'm just going to go ask someone to buy, right? It'd be abysmal. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the way people treat referrals, right? They they just think if they just go ask and there's no like design process before it, then it's going to be okay. And they'll still get some referrals. But if they actually have that all integrated together, just like you would a sales process, that's when things start to fly. Uh, absolutely. And if you take it to the next level up, which is ecosystems, then your conversion rate goes from roughly one in six to somewhere between six out of 10 to eight out of 10. Mm-hmm. Now, why on God's earth would you ever choose to go to the cold market when you have those conversion rates and they're reliable, they're predictable, you can forecast off the back of your referral part pipeline. If you're not systematizing referrals now, then get on with it because you're really gonna need it If you are anything like the majority of the market, you will have seen cold calling efficacy drop. You will have seen content efficacy drop and email efficacy drop if you're even getting through to the primary email address. So a lot of money being thrown at stuff that doesn't work and throwing more shit in at the top of the funnel just creates more constipation in the middle. 
And that's expensive because all of that has to be followed up. And it's not going to turn into business if you don't understand their reason for changing. And you're not going to get that if you're talking to the wrong people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. Very true. So, Ryan, final question then. Your best mistake, looking back, what was the best mistake that maybe at the time it didn't feel so good, but what did you and what did you learn from it? From that experience, there's dude, there's a ton. We could do a whole episode on what I learned from that. But like, here's a couple of things. As a rep or as a sales leader, they're always going to want more. So your 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 budget's always going to go up, and your comp is always going to go down over a long enough timeline, right? Like, eventually, that's what happens. That's one equity that is promised to you is usually a fraction of what's what's positioned. So you always have to have the context of like who's positioning it. Uh, I've seen that. I've heard that with a lot of different people. So those are things more on like the cautionary tale, like be careful what you believe and trust. Because I stayed at a company probably two and a half, three years longer than I should have because of that. And then the other thing too is like, there's a lot of ways where, and sometimes you run out of a real estate or you run out of time. But if you just have like relentless focus on one thing, eventually you're going to break through. And, and and that's what happened. Like we went from zero large clients to our first client was $180,000 a month. And it was just relentless focus on that. Now we got some smaller ones, but it went from like zero to bang. You know what I mean? But that took a while, right? Which is normal when you're, you're coming up with everything from scratch. So sometimes you have to be patient as hard as it is to make it happen. And so those are like three core learnings I had. There's a lot more. I just had to think through it a little bit. So if you had your time again, how much more planning would you have put into that process? In terms of planning what? Like the sales strategy or the... The strategy um, and in particular around the people, because I think so many um, scale-up organizations fixate around technology, data, and money. They don't focus on people's strategy and there's a third one, which has just slipped my mind, but yeah. So the people, yeah, I mean, we did that and that was really helpful as well, where I was really focused on, and I didn't do this from day one, which I should have, right? Was effectively like looking at how can I connect the goals of the company to the personal goals of each individual employee and customize it to them. The hardest I ever had my team work was when I did that effectively. And so that's where... I would start on day one with that. There's a lot of other things I'd start with day one doing as well. Fantastic but. advice. If you can tie someone's personal goals and motivation to their corporate goals and motivation, then you've got someone who's willing to come to work and give massive discretionary effort and is resilient because they're doing it for their reasons, not yours. Excellent. Ryan, how can people get a hold of you? I publish content on LinkedIn pretty much daily. If you're a podcaster, like listening to this, I have the scale up show. What I'll do too is if you're cool with it, Marcus, I'll give a link to access to nine free resources of yeah, AI resource, AI sales. And if you give resources. that to me, I'll put it in the blurb as well. Okay, cool. Yeah. So like, I, I think those are the best best ways to, to, to keep in touch with me. If you're audio, listen to the podcast, the scale up show. If you're, you know, you want those nine free resources, just grab it in the link. Then you'll be in my ecosystem and be happy to have you. Um, I, I think... Like I said, I, this is one of the biggest single changes in mankind in history because of the rate of innovation that's happening. And I, I want 
people to be aware of what's possible so they don't become a cautionary tale of being automated, right? right? Like, I mean, that's that's one of my biggest concerns and like the the number one single biggest stressor is when people don't have money coming in, whether it be personally or for their family. And I, I anything I could do to help people avoid that would, would be a huge win. Well, it's massively unnecessary because I, I think you know, in, in this day and age, we can make a very decent living if we choose to apply ourselves. And we have access to these resources. I mean, they're stunning. The, the people who don't, that, I mean, that's another episode, the digital divide with people who have access to this stuff and those who don't. That's going to be very interesting socially because as we uh, society moves ahead, that divide is going to become greater. We're seeing the effects of that social divide and that economic divide already. So, yeah, interesting times ahead. The old Chinese curse, isn't it? I may live <laughs> in interesting times. Ryan Staley, thank you so much. Fascinating conversation. Yeah, this is a blast, Marcus. Thanks for having me on, man. Pleasure. So this is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you found this useful, then please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Tag someone who really needs to get a grip on AI, maybe a CEO, a board, and CFO, someone who's got authority to let you play and the vision to see that there's more than just simply trying to fight the last war with the new weaponry. It's insane. You've got to think differently. This is a great opportunity. Now, if you are a, a salesperson or a leader and you're struggling to cope with the changing context, the market shifted under you, you're struggling to apply your old training, then give me a call. I've literally designed an, an approach that fills those gaps. It teaches you to the, develop the building blocks of communication, and then we practice them so you actually use them in front of the customer instead of forgetting them. And the results are astounding. I'm, I'm blown away by them. And the starting point is taking my sales aptitude test. And off the back of that, you'll get 30 minutes with me doing a free consult. So in the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye.